But this is the reading and the rant. We're going to spend about 20 minutes reading scripture, and then we're going to spend another 20 minutes reflecting on scripture. And that's what we do. We're journeying through the entire Bible from beginning to end. We read through the entire New Testament. Now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. And our posture in our reading is going to be three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? And so we're going to engage with this word this morning. And I pray that the Lord would speak to each of us in a unique way, that he would address us uh, specifically concerning whatever it is that we're going to. For even if the word has been written in antiquity, it is contemporary in that it is relevant to us today. And so we're going to engage with his word. Father, I ask today that you would be with us, Father. I pray that you would um, engage with us, Lord, as we engage with you today. Lord, as we pray, we're asking that your spirit would speak to us through your word. Lord, breathe into this word today, Lord, that we may uh, find peace, that we may find joy, that we may find rest, that we may find wisdom, that we may find conviction, that we may find correction, that we may find confidence. Father, I pray that you would uh, bless us today, Lord, as we um, um, read your word let us not leave with our wisdom, but let us leave, Lord, with an impartation of your wisdom and grace. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Job chapter 32, and it says this, if you can read with me as I read it. It says, so these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also, against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job when Elihu saw that there was no answer answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of the Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I'm young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid. And I dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in a man. The breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise nor do aged always understand justice. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what you say, what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words, lest you say, we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man." Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed and answer no more. The words escaped them, and I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I, too, will declare my opinion, for I am full of words. The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskins, I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. But please, Job, hear my speech 
and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. My words come from upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of of the Almighty gives me life. If you answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will your hand be heavy on you. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your word saying, I am pure without transgression, I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as an enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Look, in this you are not righteous, I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon a man, while slumbering on their bed, Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from from sight and his bones stick out which once were not seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit, and his life to the executioners. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God, And he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, and it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things, twice in fact, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Give ear, Job. Listen to me. Hold your peace, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. Aliyah further answered and said, Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear tests words as the palate tests food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinks scorn like water? who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. For he has said, it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness, 
and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. For he repays man according to his work and makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth? Or who appointed him over the whole, over the whole, over the whole world, sorry. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and a man would return to dust. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? Is it fitting to say to a king, you are worthless, and to nobles, you are wicked? Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. In a moment they die, in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without hand, for his eyes are on the ways of men, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness, nor shadow of death, for the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he did not need, sorry, for he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without iniquity, and he sets others in their place. Therefore, he knows their works. He overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him. For he hears the cry of the afflicted, and when he gives quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hides his face, who then can see him? Whether it is against a nation or a man alone, that the hypocrite should not reign, lest the people be ensnared. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should he repay it according to your terms? Just because you disavow it, you must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. Men of understanding, say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost, because his answers are like those of wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, do you, do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? <laughs> I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him. If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? For your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. 
because the multitude of oppression, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the Almighty. But no one says, where is God, my maker, who gives song in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. Although you say you do not see him, yet justice is before him, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not punished his anger, nor taken much notice of folly, therefore Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. Elihu also proceeded and said this, Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. (laughs) One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings. For he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound in fetters, held in cords of affliction, Then he tells them their work and their transgression, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Goodness gracious. But if they do not obey, they perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. But the hypocrites in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint. And what is set on your table would be full of richness. But you are filled with judgment due to the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Because there is wrath, beware lest he take you away with one blow. For a large ransom would not help you avoid it. Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Yet take heed, do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. Behold, God is exalted by his power who teaches like him. Who has assigned him by his way? Or who has said, you have done wrong? (sighs) 
Remember the ma- remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. He draws up drops of water which distill as rain from the midst, which the, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea, for by these he judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hand with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it, the cattle also concerning the rising storm. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole ev- under sorry the whole heaven and lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when he sorry when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth, and likewise the gentle rain and the heavy rain on his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. The chambers of the south come from the whirlwind, the cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine, do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why are your garments hot? When he quiets the earth by the south wind, with him you have spread out the skies, strong as a cast metal mirror. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the sky. When the wind has passed and cleared them, he comes from the north as a golden splendor. With God is awesome majesty. As for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment, and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are of wise heart. I'm tempted to read the next chapter. <laughs> Let's do it. And I'll share my thought. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, the thick darkness its waddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here you are proud, sorry, and here your proud ways must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment and the wicked their light is withheld and the appraised arm is broken have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death have you comprehended the breath of the earth tell me if you know all of this where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness, where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path to its home. Do you know it? Because you were born then, or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow, or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided the channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain of father? Or has begotten the the drops of dew from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth. The waters harden like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring the Mazaroth in its season or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinance of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom and can pour out the, bot the bottles of heaven? When the dust hardens and clumps and the clogs cling together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? 
When they crouch in their dens or lurk in the lairs to lie in wait, who provides food for the raven? When its young ones cry to God and wander about for the lack of food. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young. They deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy. They grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager? Whose home I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox be willing to serve you? Will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? Or will he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because his strength is great? Or will you leave your labor to him? Goodness gracious. Will you trust him to bring home your grain? Or will you gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly. But are her wings and pinions likely the kindly storks? For she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without concern because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at the fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword or quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and the javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet is sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, aha. He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and shouting, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? On the rock it dwells and resides, and the crag of the rock and the stronghold. And from there it spies out its prey. It eyes, its eyes observe from afar. Its young ones suck up blood. And where the slain are, there it is. I'm going to stop right here. There is, uh, <coughs> there's so much to unpack here. I will start by saying this, that this reading we did today is a reading that would require um, weeks of study. There is just so much in this particular part of this reading that we need to unpack, that we would have to 
deconstruct that we have to 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 really sift through. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. There is theological breadth in this part of the book, and there's theological depth in this part of the book. And if you ask me, this is really the climax of the book of Job. I know for many, the climax for many is, well, Job, he suffers, he goes through all the pain and suffering, he endures all of it, and then afterwards God blesses him and gives him kids and his finances and everything is restored. That's usually the message that is preached when we talk about Job, because again, it's a popular one to preach. It's not to say it isn't true. God restores Job. But the danger of that type of messaging is it teaches people, it teaches people that if I just endure, God will double what I went through. And so we have people now who don't see actual the actual blessing and the understanding and the purpose and the wisdom that comes from suffering, but rather suffering is something to escape and to anticipate a blessing from God. The blessing from God now becomes minimized to something physical. So we minimize the blessing of suffering to, well, God's going to give me my marriage back and he's going to give me my house back and he's going to give me my you know my resources and my money back and he's going to he's going to restore everything that that the devil took away and so we often uh misappropriate the whole purpose of the text because the text is not about that and so we make that the climax we make that the resolution to the story and it is the resolution to the story but it's not the climax of the story the book of Job is, is a profound book. The book of Job is profound in that it is it's not a book, and I know many people have seen it as, as a book about suffering and how we suffer, and it teaches us so much about how we endure during seasons of suffering. But what the book of Job is really about is about justice, What the book of Job is really about is about righteousness. That's what it's really about. The book of Job is about the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And for many, when we talk about righteousness and we talk about justice, we often think of those things as two separate things. But righteousness is essentially what God defines as right. And what is unrighteous is what God defines as wrong. And so when we talk about righteousness, we have to immediately talk about justice because justice is about the discernment of what is right and what is wrong. It's a rightness and a wrongness. And yet the scriptures tell us that he is a righteous judge. We read this in the book of Psalms. And so God is always measuring and judging the mechanisms and the motions of the earth by his very character that is his justice. When we say that God is righteous, often people will confuse that with God is holy. No, 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 no. God is holy, meaning he's fundamentally separate. He's fundamentally distinct. He's different than anything that we could, we, we could ever 
see or encounter outside of him. He is outside of all things. You cannot really compare God to anything. You cannot fully describe God. Okay, anybody who tries to just fully describe God to you, <laughs> they got it wrong because you cannot. He's he he exists outside of our ability to uh, communicate, outside of 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 the periphery of our languages. He 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 exists outside of the circumference of our minds. God's thinking, God Himself exists way outside of all those things. You know, that's a side, little side note as I rant here for a moment. But it's funny how people are always trying to describe God. So they'll come up with, you know, Trinitarian doctrines. And that's, it's just interesting because we always are attempting to find ways to describe God. And I see what I call bootleg Trinitarian doctrines that simply uh, try to define God in a very, very formulaic way. And in defining God in this formulaic way, all we end up doing is getting more confused because God actually does not exist within the periphery of our mind. He does not exist within the circumference of our philosophical thinking. God is holy. He is fundamentally separate. There's no language. There are no words. There's nothing that can fully describe God. So when we simply just say God is a trinity, it's not to say that we're wrong. It's to say that we're still minimizing our view because even then it doesn't fully encapsulate who God is. I know that's provocative for many because we have all these arguments about the Trinity and all that. I'm not here to get into all that with y'all. If you want to, you can join me for our Bible studies that we do on Patreon. Um, um, and I know I, I indicated a little bit of that about what God, who God is and what the Elohim is and all that good stuff. But that's not what we're here to do. And that's not my whole point. All I'm saying to you is that the, the holiness of God now defines, a little bit of teaching, y'all, defines the righteousness of God. That is, that God, who is holy and fundamentally distinct and the creator of all things, the El Elyon, the possessor of the heavens and the earth, the God who's created all things, this God is the God who now informs how the thing he created operates. Are y'all catching me? So this God who exists outside of anything that we can see or that is created or fits within the laws of physics or within the periphery of philosophy and logic, God who exists outside of that now informs how all these things work. <laughs> Are you catching me? Take a computer programmer. And this computer programmer writes down some code, and the code that he writes is for a particular device, a self-driving vehicle, whatever it might be. Once the vehicle or the device has been programmed by the programmer and the code has been written, the device doesn't just get to choose how it wants to operate. The device doesn't get to choose, well, I know the code was written this way, but I want to do this. A self-driving vehicle, once it's coded to do a particular thing, if it doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do, what that leads to is an accident. 
because the creator has created it that way. So it's funny how the world, the universe, and everything in it has been coded with divine information and divine knowledge. And yet we often like to think that we can rewrite the code in a different way and not pay consequences for it. Isn't that interesting, y'all? That we want to write up the code ourselves. And then so now we determine what's right and wrong. And we determine how it ought to be and how, how it ought not to be. We come up with our own moralities. And so our own moralities, you know, I want to live my best life or I want to be who I want to be and I want to live how I want to live. It's funny. We want to live how we want to live and be how we want to be and do what we want to do and do it without consequence. But it just doesn't work that way because God did not code it that way. You don't get to do things the way you want to, want to do it. And know your body is not yours. Your body is God's. And know you don't get to just control things in the way that you want to control it. And if you do, and you can make that attempt because God gives you free will to do that. He gives you all the free will to do whatever it is you want to do to make whatever decisions you want to make. But don't get mad when it actually falls apart on you because the Coding doesn't fit within your dictation. It fits within how God has ordered all things. Yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. You can live your life. But understand that the life that you want to live is not going to be the best life because it was never programmed that way. Are y'all catching me on this? Does God live outside of his governance? I like that question. And I'm just going to just give you a short answer to that because it's going to apply to what we're talking about here is in short, no. Yes and no. I don't explain to you what I mean by that. Yes, in the sense that he can live outside of his governance. No, in the sense that he willingly chooses not to because of the by the very virtue of his character. God says he places his word above himself. So because he places his word above himself, God willingly, by the virtue of his character, chooses to live under the word in the law that he has created. So it's not that he cannot, it's that if he does not, then it contradicts his very character. He can choose not to, but if he chooses not to, then he contradicts himself. Does that make sense? And so he, the and, and here's the thing, and this is where we are. You cannot separate now the governance and God because, again, God is righteous. And so now, because of his word and the word that he has spoken, he, he is righteousness. And because he is righteousness, if at any form or in any way you break that law, then you cannot be in him because that is what he is, which is why wherever there's unrighteousness, God cannot be. And that thing cannot be with God. This is the great conflict, the quagmire, the contradiction, the, 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 the issue that we face now is the question of how does unrighteous people, 
how 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 does unrighteous people how how so how do unrighteous people dine and dwell with a righteous God? Well, here's the thing: is who is the righteous judge? God is the righteous judge. So if God is the righteous judge, then God now defines who he's with and who is righteous and who is not. Are y'all understanding this? Why is all this important? Again, like I said, our reading today is profound. There's a lot of weight no way that I'm going to get this weight in the next 10 minutes of our time here. I'm just here to share a word that sits on the weight of what this says. Because what we're seeing here in Job is that we're seeing in Job that this is really a defining of the mechanisms of the righteousness of God. Like, like this is this is the defining of what righteousness is all about. If anybody asks you, what is Job about? Job is not about suffering. Job is about godly wisdom. Job is a poetic book, but it's a book that's revealing the wisdom of God as it relates and pertains to the righteousness of God. This book is actually about righteousness. And that's why this book is so critically important. And I love how speaking, uh, that this book that speaks and, and, and articulates righteousness, that the characters of this book are not even the children of God. They're not even the, the, the Hebrews. Job is not even a Hebrew man. Yet it's written by a Hebrew author about a man who existed before Abraham. And so what we've been reading here is a contest. If I were to just quickly journey through it, we sometimes quote, um, you know, we, we, we quote some of these verses in Job, but you got to know who they're coming from. And I'm going to send you what I mean by that. Because when we read, starting from Job 31, as we read, sorry, Job 32, as we, as we started our reading, we're seeing here that Job, after he's gone through his discourse, and, and yesterday we read how it, how it ends with the words of Job are ended. Job has said his peace. And what Job does is that even though Job is suffering and even though his friends have accused him, because again, the issue of justice in the world is that the world's form of justice is bad people leads to punishment. Do bad things, you are punished. That is the world's wisdom. And the world's wisdom is you do good things, you are rewarded. Can I say that one more time? And I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but I have to get this to y'all. This is what the world teaches. 
The world teaches if you do bad things, you're punished. If you do good things, then you are rewarded. And unfortunately, we allow the world's wisdom to now be attributed to God. And when we allow the world's wisdom to be attributed to God, when we superimpose the world's wisdom on God, that's where we begin to have God issues. Because now when the world's wisdom is pushed on God, you know what we call that? We call that religion. Yes, we call that religion. And so now we take the world's wisdom, we superimpose it on God. We take the world's wisdom, we make it spiritual. So we say, now you do good things and you go to heaven. You do bad things and you go to hell. And yet God's wisdom doesn't work that way. And God's justice doesn't work that way either. Oh, I'm sorry. Am am I going to get in trouble here? Dang it. I may have to just go to nine. I because I, now I got I got I'm gonna work this. I'm gonna work this. Okay, I'm gonna work this. So I, I'll make that a TikTok if I got to. <laughs> I'll make that a TikTok because you ready for this? We say you do good things, you get rewarded. You do bad things, you get punished. You do good things, you get rewarded. You do bad things, you get punished. That's the world's wisdom. That's not God. God ain't saying none of that. And yet we superimpose it on God. So now we say, if we do good things, we go to heaven. If we do bad things, we go to hell. Right? And then we get confused when we do good things and we're not rewarded. And then we get confused when we see bad people and they're living the good life. And then all of a sudden, what do we do? We say, man, religion doesn't work. Because we never try to actually understand to know the character of God. What we wanted to do is we wanted to make religion work for ourselves to satisfy and to satiate our worldly wisdom. And so we don't get it now when we talk about the righteousness of God and we talk about what makes you righteous has nothing to do with what you do, but has everything to do with what God has done. And then we get confused because we feel like we got to perform for God when God never made that a part of his justice. Uh Uh-oh. And so that's the trouble that they got here because Job is in pain and Job looks like he's being punished because Job is suffering. And so Job is suffering. He must be unrighteous and he must have done something. He had to. He had to have done something wrong because there's no way a bad thing can happen to a good person. And Job says something provocative here that we've been reading. And I know you guys have heard me say it. I'm going to iterate over and over again. But Job says something provocative here. Job says, listen, I'm giving it all to God. I've given all this to God. And honestly, I see nothing that God's accusing me of. I mean, I've been living the way that he wants me to live. All the things that you just said, remember we talked about all that. So Job is saying, by your measure of righteousness, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. And then the three friends get hot. The three friends get upset. They're going, wait, 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 wait. This man says he's righteous and Job closes with those words. So the the friends walk away and now enters Elihu. Elihu looks at Job's friends 
And he says to Joe's friends, yo, so you let this man talk like this and you had nothing to say to him? I thought you guys were wise. I thought you guys, I thought you guys had wisdom. So you're just going to let him walk away with that? You're going to let him walk away thinking that he's righteous? Like, who does Job think he is for him to think that he's righteous? Of course, we know better because the beginning of the book tells us that in heaven, God had already declared to Satan that Job was righteous. That's neither here nor there. We've got information that Job's friends do not. But now Lehu steps in and he's like, yo, 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 back that up. Back that up because from what I from from what I'm seeing here, you guys didn't explain this right to Job. I got a problem with y'all. So now Job, so now because Job's friends have no um rebuttal, Aliu says, you know what? Sit down, or or better yet, hold my beer. Let me deal with Job. So now after chapter 32, where he deals with them and he's telling them, yo, y'all, you guys are tripping. Let me do the work. Now in chapter 33, you know, I'm just giving you the hood version. I'm sorry. In chapter 33 now, Elihu says, now I'm going to address you, Job. And I'm going to talk to you right quick. Because I'm hearing you saying some stuff about the fact that you're righteous. Who do you think you are for you to think that you're righteous? Where do they do that at? Who do you think you are for you to tell us that you're righteous? Since when? And in, in verse four, he says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of almighty gives me life. And then Elihu goes to this articulate well-spoken rendition of God. Elihu knows God. He knows a lot about God. And then he says, for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man cannot perceive it in a dream and in a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon a man. He's given all this revelation, things that he knows about God. And Elihu then speaks about God's justice because this is about justice because there's a justice problem here because he's telling me good things don't lead to reward and bad things don't lead to punishment. Now he's messing up the whole thing. And I don't know if I like that. So I got to address him about that. And so Elihu then starts to proclaim the justice of God. And he's saying, hear my words in verse two in chapter 34. Oh, you wise men, give ear to me, who you you who have knowledge or test the words that I speak and, 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 and taste the palate of these words as they may be food to you. Oh, poetic in and of itself. Absolutely. And then he he starts going and he's breaking down and he's breaking down the justice of God. He's breaking down righteousness. Man, he got theology. He got all of it. He's got doctrine. He knows God. He knows God really well. Stay with me, family. Not only does he, he, he knows about God. Sorry. He knows about God. Watch this now. He knows about God. He knows about the character of God. And, and he, knows, he knows about the justice of God. He's got theology and all these things. And then in verse 35, he says, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without wisdom. Then 
He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Because for Elihu, I've got better theology than you. I know God better than you. For Elihu, he's like, you're sitting, you're sitting over here telling us you're righteous, but the way we're looking at your life, it don't look like it. Stay with me, fam. Stay with me, fam. Stay with me. So Elihu continues to use his doctrine to condemn Job. He says, is my righteousness more than God's? How can you say you're righteous? Because you can't be righteous and God right. How can you be righteous and for God to be righteous? Oh my gosh, there's so much there and I don't have time. I know this is not, we're not doing Bible study here. We'll save it for, for, for Bible study on Patreon. We'll save it there. But, 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 but now we're, we're continuing to break down because of the multitude of oppressions. He says in verse nine, they cry out, they cry out for help because of the arm of the Almighty, but no one says, where is God my maker? who gives the songs in the night, who teaches more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven. He's speaking and he's giving all this rendition. And then he closes at the end of chapter 35. He says, therefore, Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. Then Elihu, notice he's using all this good theology. Oh my gosh, guys, Elihu is giving good theology. That's why we still quote him. Everything he's saying is theologically sound. Everything Elihu's saying is doctrinally sound. He ain't lying. Now, one thing Elihu said so far is a lie. And then he says, bear with me a little and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. And now he starts to speak about the goodness of God. Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength and understanding. He knows the love of God. He speaks of the goodness of God. He says he gives justice to the oppressed. He's doing all this. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity, in verse 11, and their years in pleasure. But if they do not obey him, they shall perish by the sword. Uh-oh. We've got, we've got justice again. And he gives all this speak theologically. He's got good theology. But notice what happens in Job 36, verse 26. And this is the most important thing that you need to know today. Because I don't have time to break all this down in a Bible study. But I hope you catch this. In verse 26, he says, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. <laughs> we do not know him. God is great but we do not know him. Did y'all just catch that? Good theology. Good bibliology. Good soteriology. Good homartiology. Good all theologies. Good eschatology. 
Good pneumatology. Good Christology. He's good on the ologies. But he does not know him. He knows all the things about him. But he does not know him. You know what the unfortunate reality is for the Bible thumpers, for the doctrinal police, for the ones who they got, you know, they know their Bible and they're ready and quick to correct everybody on scripture. Yes, they're ready to tell people why they're not righteous and and why they are sinners and why they are going to hell and why. And I realized that they've got good theology, but they don't know God. Yes, they're like Elihu in the book of Job, where in Job 36, verse 26, he says, behold, God is great and we do not know him. Yes, you know the greatness of God, but you don't know him. And I've realized now that the reason why many people who have good doctrine and good theology and got all the ologies, but cannot express a love to those who are around them is because they do not know God. They don't know God. So then Job now, who's declared himself to be righteous, Elihu can't make sense of that because he knows everything about God, but he does not know God. And yet, what does Paul say in Romans? He says salvation is knowing God. You are not saved because you know the Bible. You are not saved because you go to church on Sunday. You're not saved because you go to your weekly Bible study. You're not saved because you didn't sin a lot this week. You're not saved because of any of that. Salvation is not in those things. As a matter of fact, Paul says salvation is to know God. You are saved because of your faith and you are saved because you know God. So if you just know about God and you do not know God, then where is your salvation? If you know a lot about God, but you don't know God, we got a problem here. For by grace are we saved through faith. Notice now that because he did not know God, I'm sorry, it's, I'm ranting. Notice that because he did not know God, he could not separate, or sorry, he could not reconcile that the righteousness of God is the righteousness of Job. He couldn't separate that because somehow Job's righteousness cannot be God's. Remember what he asked in the, in, the, in, the, in the prior chapter. He says, so are you more righteous than God? Huh, but see, here, here's the thing, though, is that if you're righteous in Christ, your righteousness doesn't separate from Christ's righteousness. If you're righteous in God, you don't measure your righteousness to God's righteousness because it's just one righteousness. And so if it's just one righteousness, then I'm righteous because he's righteous and he gave me his righteousness. 
does, does that make sense? Like when we talk about righteousness, it's interesting to me because people will say, well, um, I'm, not as right, I'm not as righteous as God. Since when? Like, when was your righteousness different from God's? No. If we are righteous in Christ, we have his righteousness. Therefore, there's no separation between his righteousness and our righteousness. So there's no comparing now because whatever his righteousness is, is our righteousness. And so we, we don't perform for it because he just gave it to us. We literally have his righteousness. And who gets to choose that? God chooses that. He's the one that gives us the righteousness. It's not because we did more or did less or did more of this or less of that. No, it's because God simply said, I'm giving you my righteousness. You are now just as right as I am. And you are justified, meaning it is just as if you never did it. That's how God treats it. I'm supposed to go short today, but I'm over time. So I'm just going to leave with this last one. Because Elihu does not understand. Then God gives his rebuttal. And God says to him, for all the guys who think that there's something you need to do to get this right, let me reveal to them how great I really am. Pay attention, y'all. God now begins to reveal his power. And what God says now is God says, do you see everything that's going on here? Do you see the sun and the moon? Do you see the constellations? You see, I mean, he goes, he breaks down all these things that we see. He's like, you see, and you see the motion and the circle of life. You see the, the symbiosis of the animal kingdoms and you see the grass and the animals and you see all the motions and the things that are moving. You see all these things that are happening. You see how these things that are moving. Who you think governs that? Who, who do you think who do you think governs that? Who who do you think does the work? You know about my greatness, but do you know that I'm still working? And you know that I'm still moving? And do you know that I'm still operating? And you know that this is all just me setting things in motion? This is my justice. And all things are moving and flowing through me. You understand that this is all being coordinated by me. And do you understand that you're just a small part of that? Like, I know you know you're small and I'm great, but do you understand how small you are? Even in the motion of things, even in the, even in the institution of my justice and my righteousness, you, you, you do see that all these things are happening and you have nothing to do with that. So then, Elihu, who do you think you are to think that there's something you can do? that can make these things right. And so what God is doing in the end, he's, and he's exposing this to Job, he's saying to Job, these fools think that somehow there's something they're doing for righteousness, as if they're the ones who have put all these things into motion. when I'm the one who's doing all the work. 
God is doing all the work, family. This is the climax of the book of Job. And I know I'm, I'm done with my time, but, but today, if there's anything that you can rest in, is to know you don't perform for God. You may be suffering, you may be going through pain, you may be going through these things, but God is past punishing you. God isn't punishing anybody. There's some people right now who are struggling with shame and guilt. There's some people right now who are dealing with that right now. There's some people who are struggling with condemnation, with shame, and with guilt. And there's some people who are going through pain right now. Some of you are asking right now, God, are you punishing me? God, are you punishing me? Some of you are like, God, am I being punished for the decisions that I've made? Am I being punished for the wrong that I've done? Am I, am I being punished because I was with this person or I did this thing? There are some of you right now who are wrestling with that. So here's my word for you. God isn't punishing you. God doesn't punish you. He actually took your punishment for you. When he died on the cross, he took the punishment for everything that you've done. So the question is, if God is punishing you, then what did he do on the cross? If God is punishing you, then what is the purpose of the cross? The purpose of the cross was to pay for everything you will ha you have done and will ever do. So no, he's not punishing you. The purpose of the cross is to pay for the sins of all men, meaning God has paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so if he's paid for all of your sin and for everything you've done, guess what? God is not punishing you and will not punish you today. You will not be punished by God unless his cross was ineffective. He paid it all. He was say, past, present, and future, and future. You sin tonight. He paid for that. You sin right when you get off of this chat. Oh man, this is going. This is going to really spark all the religious people, all the Elihu's. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant for another two couple more minutes. Please forgive me. But for all the Elihu's out here, I'm going to set you off real quick. Yes, God has forgiven you of your sin, all of your sin, your past sin, your present sin, and he's forgiving you of your future sin. That's right. God is going to forgive you of the sin that you're going to commit right after you watch this video. You're already forgiven. <laughs> you're already forgiven. He's forgiven you of whatever you're going to do tonight. He's going to forgive you right now. He already forgave you. He forgave you on the cross. On the cross, he forgave you for all of your sin. There's not one sin that he has not forgiven you of. And he's forgiven you for all your future sins. Every sin you commit all the way to the grave, he's already, he's already paid for it. Which is why God is not punishing you if you sin. Your sin has been paid for. So now live on a different measure. Now we're not living for God's acceptance. God has already accepted us. We live now knowing that our sin has already been paid for. 
It's already been handled. So live out of the acceptance of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just revealing to us your righteousness, even the mechanisms of your righteousness, Lord, the the movement of your grace. Um, Father, we're still working through this because the world has taught us so many things. The world has taught us about reward and risk. The world has taught about about sin and punishment, and 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 yet we miss out on the work that you have done and accomplished on the cross. Lord, we're being we're being revealed even through this book of Job, a foreshadow of what is to come. Lord, that there is one, even in the midst of our suffering, there's one who suffered on our behalf. <laughs> on our behalf for everything that we have done and will ever do and are doing even in this moment. And yet, Lord, we face condemnation every day. So, Father, I pray that you reveal your goodness and to show us that you are at work and that the mechanisms of your grace are still in motion, that you dictate the destiny of humanity and the destiny of our lives. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family. I was supposed to be out 20 minutes ago, so I got to go. Um God bless you guys. Again, for anyone who wants to support, if this is a blessing to you in any way, become a patron. Click the link in the bio. Click the link in the profile. Just believe in God for your support. But other than that, we'll be back here no matter what. We're going to continue to dig in because Job is going to set some of us free. It's going to set some of us free. We're going to see what Job is really all about. Love y'all. God bless you guys.